This is John Scalzi. You are listening to Alpha Geek Radio. The following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. Do not panic, ladies and gentlemen. The casuals have taken control of the airways. This is Casually Hardcore Live on AlphaGeekRadio.com. Tangents are kind of a big deal. For Sunday, the 3rd of November, holy crap, another month has passed, 2013, this is Casually Hardcore. I am Gnomewise. And I'm Barry. The Barry Von the Awesome. Barry Von Awesome. That's right. You have to say that correctly. You, know, you consult with Reginald. He remembers. Uh, are we broadcasting currently on the video wall of any sorts or type? We have a video stream going out through the uh, highly experimental Justin.tv channel. So it's not so much a video wall as the uh, stream of my enormous head and how does one find that come to alphageekradio.com choose video at the top of the page and choose the justin.tv option and you'll be able to tune in to the live test of video streaming while audio streaming to make sure the rig does not collapse under the weight of all that processing which (laughs) it's shrugging it off with a grin and a laugh and more importantly, make sure that uh, at the new higher resolution level, my upstream on uh, my cable modem does not collapse under the weight of it, though. So far, it is handling it like a champ. So we've got a Skype session going, video outbound, and the normal shoutcast streams to the multiple uh, simulcasts. And everything seems rock solid. This is a happy thing and a good day. This is only a test. No, this is actually the, the live show, because we're going live right now. And if this had been an actual emergency, beep, flotation beep, devices would have come down from the ceiling. If you are traveling with a small child, secure your mask first before securing theirs. If you're traveling with two, two small children, decide now which one of them you love more. <laughs> did they actually say that on planes? Uh, they did on a Southwest Airlines uh, trip that I took, with, which had an completely awesome uh, flight crew and that was that was just one part of their bit that they modified that was just when it stood out in my mind and just decide which of your kids you love more and that actually segues into one of our news items from this week uh which is no kidding yeah no kidding <laughs> the uh a while back the faa released their ruling that said yeah it turns out that uh you know your game boy or your tablet isn't going to crash the plane if we let you use it during takeoff or landing. So a lot of the airlines are starting to adopt new rules saying, yeah, as long as you're not using the cellular radio on your device, you are free to use your electronic devices at all times during the flight, which is like, hooray for common sense. I'm glad they were cautious about 
determining that there weren't unforeseen interactions between the auto landing systems and the auto flight systems and these various RF emitting devices, which I totally get because who wants their plane dropping out of the sky? But uh, it's good to see them admitting, okay, everything's cool. We'll let you use your your uh, you know, your 3ds while you're taking off and won't ask you to leave the plane. I could have told you this because I tested this theory uh, a year plus ago when we went to PAX. I just totally, uh, totally ignored all their their legally binding can get you put in federal prison instructions, huh? Yeah, I just said, ah, screw that, and left my <laughs> iPad and cell phone on. It's all about you. The plane goes down. Who cares? Yes, yeah. points in the IRC. I do mean Movember, though. With me, even if you're watching on the video wall, you can't tell it's Movember because I always have facial hair. So Ditto. I, it'll just I'll just let it go more than I normally do. It'll just become an untamed mass underneath my nose. Um, but yes, welcome to Movember 2013. Reginald is growing a mustache this month, though. Your beard is growing a mustache. Yes. I'm not touching that one with a 10-meter <laughs> cattle prod. Anyway, so you may have noticed we have a slightly different uh, host lineup on this show. Um, I have been abandoned by all who love me. Hey. Oh, hi. <laughs> Are you still here? <laughs> Mildly. Mm-hmm. So, as per expected, Grail is off running a marathon. As per unexpected, Daxa has been struck down by the crud and has no voice, so she is home uh, convalescing. Iolite continues to throw herself upon the grenade that is our offspring, and uh, to keep them far, far away from me while I do the radio show, for which I am eternally grateful. Uh, apologies for not being able to do a show last week, but we was in California uh, celebrating the uh, birthing anniversary of one nemesis in the Magic Kingdom and California Adventure. So, we, for, so Sunday across into Monday, we were... Spending far, far too much money and pushing our aging bodies to their limits, running around uh, some fairly beautiful days, thankfully, in California, uh, paying our annual way more than a tithe to uh, Disney. And I feel actually I feel better about giving them money, knowing that it's also going into the Marvel coffers and the Lucasfilm coffers indirectly. It's It strangely makes me feel better about them milking me for ridiculous amounts of cash. Oh, and they do. That's cool. Uh, Disney's awesome. I wish I have ever been there, but uh, I, I, it seemed weird you were surprised that there was nice weather in Southern California. Um, when I say nice weather, I mean actually cool, because to me, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is also a land of perpetual nice weather, and I actually prefer it when there's actual weather events, so when I say it was nice, I mean it was nice and foggy in the morning and actually rained on us a little bit and was overcast and cool, which is not what one typically looks for in Southern California, but I freaking loved it and ate it up. I can dig that. We've already had frost here, so... See, I miss that. I miss having seasons. I grew up in Western New York and had the full-on four seasons. I don't miss the, oh my god, way too much uh, humidity during the uh, summers, but uh, and the uh, B-52-sized mosquitoes. Um, 
with with uh, you know life size payloads. And but other than that, uh, you know, the, the four seasons thing was nice. You, don't, you know, you get really two seasons here. You get you know way too freaking hot and mildly cool uh, are the two extremes here. You might get a little bit of a chill at nighttime, but that's about all she wrote. Um, so I, I anytime there's a weather events or precipitation of any kind, it's a big fat hairy deal to me, and, and nostalgia creeps in, and I be I feel old. But I digress. I'm looking at this uh, video wall Justin TV stream here, and something that's uh, occurring on the website is mildly amusing to me. Uh, there's a banner at the top that streams through, uh, what, seven or eight shows. Right. And when it gets to the end, instead of looping back around to the beginning, it goes like a typewriter. It goes all the way back to the beginning and then it starts over again. Chosen very deliberately. Thank you very much. I designed that. <laughs> I think it's amusing. I rather like it myself. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Because um, I'm old and easily amused. I haven't had a chance to listen to uh, the new live version of Coverville. Uh, I, I'm wondering how that's going. Uh, funny you should mention that. And Brian Ebbett is just coming up in my uh, my Twitter feed even as we speak. Uh, Coverville is once again up for one of the podcast awards. I encourage you to go vote for him because he is awesome and I love listening to his show. And he is one of the more uh, entertaining parts of our 24-7 stream when we're not on the air. Though, interestingly, it's going to be... He'll be there less just because he's now doing the one double long show instead of two shows a week. So you get the same amount of content, you just get it in one, one big fat dose instead of uh, across two shows a week. But the one thing that guy knows how to do, it's to create content, because damn. I love it. I actually uh, did a show about cover songs exclusively uh, for uh, in college, on the college radio station. That was what I did, too. So I was like, oh, heck yeah, as soon as I heard about that. Yeah. I was like, that's right up my alley, too. I will be seeing... Uh Brian Ibbett and Scott Johnson and many others this coming weekend will be right the hell back in Anaheim again um, <laughs> for the AIE Guild Hall. So next week uh, in the Friday and Saturday time frame, keep your eye on the uh, various Twitter feeds, the casually, hard, not the casually, hardcore casuals, uh, Gnomewise and uh, Alpha Geek Radio. Watch those Twitter feeds for announcements as to when we'll be going live with many and varied uh, impromptu and streamed shows from the AIE Guild Hall. Uh, should have live episodes of The Instance, live episode of possibly of The Morning Stream, random crap a la what we do when we do Nerdtacular. Just keep the stream open. And speaking of keeping the stream open... Uh, nice little another tangent here, seeing as we are in the tangent section and all. It fits. It fit. Everything fits. It's a tangent section. The If you check out the front page of alphageekradio.com in one of the very recent posts, we have recently partnered with tunein.com for purposes of getting the live stream onto a much larger number of devices. And not just tablets and phones. So if you check out that post, we link through to their list of supported devices. So we've gone from our app supporting iOS and Android, and then the plain old web player, which just uh, the you know, Flash and HTML5 versions, to now having stuff available for streaming live and, and the 24-7 stream on Windows Phone, BlackBerry, Roku, 
uh, Logitech set-top boxes, a fair smattering of smart TVs, um, lots of different uh, options, a very well-designed, uh, I can speak mostly for the iOS and Android apps that I've tested pretty thoroughly, for playing nicely in the background, which is no mean feat um, and, is, and is a frequent complaint of all audio-based um apps on mobile devices is that a lot of them just have a really hard time continuing to decode streaming media while not in the foreground. So when you would switch to check your email or check your Twitter feed, your audio would stutter or go away completely. And I have not been able to get the TuneIn.com app to screw up no matter what I'm running in the foreground. So props to them for good app design. And I've been playing it, uh, the live stream, quite a bit on our various Roku boxes. It's got a great interface, and that one doesn't have a system of playing in the background because that's just not how Roku works. You have one app running at a time. But if you have uh, these kinds of devices hooked to your entertainment centers, uh, and also, of course, they have their own web-based player, it's just one more way to be able to reliably tune into the live stream and the 24-7 stream when you're just out there and need to get your geek on in the middle of the day. So check that out see how it fits on your various devices we welcome and encourage your feedback just come to the forums by clicking on the community button on alphageekradio.com and if you have any issues or want to say it's great or tell us you weren't able to get it working whatever the the feedback may be we're interested in having it but uh, so far the using tunein.com to listen to the stream seems to be a great way to uh, spread it out onto more devices, more ways, easier, better, faster. We can rebuild him and all that. <laughs> uh, just an update to the very, very small subset of people that actually care. The Minnesota Vikings lost again this week. The who's a what's it? Yeah, to the Dallas Cowboys this time. You know, they're switching it up, losing to different teams every week. This is another hand egg thing, isn't it? Yeah. What is it with you people? I, I just watched the uh, the local sports franchise just to, so that I'm up to date on all of the moaning that I'll hear later at work tonight. Uh huh. Although there's a lot of Packer backers at my worker uh, place of employment See, as that well. Just sounds wrong. Packer <laughs> and, uh, indeed, it does. I just no, no, just no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Uh, hey, I didn't come up with it. I just uh, perpetuate the stereotype. Now, that's like, you know, when we talked about a couple episodes ago, you know, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, fan club, the Cumberbitches. It's, it's just the same kind of uncomfortable, did I just say that out loud kind of a moment. Uh, yeah, cringeworthy. Now, I, I have not worked out a way yet to have the drop-ins play for you on the Skype feed, but I want to confirm with those in the uh, IRC and listening to the live stream that we have... In my fine-tuning that I did earlier today, that I didn't break the fix we had put in place that stopped the uh, drop-ins from double-playing and sounding horrible. So here's a, here's an assortment of drop-ins for you guys. It wasn't me this time, I swear! And one more. I kill you! All right. So feedback from those in the IRC. Uh, those sound normal, ugly, bad, good, indifferent... I just work here. Which ones did you play? Uh, let's see. I led with uh, Silence. <laughs> I know. Uh, and then a It Wasn't Me This Time, I Swear, Bender. And then did the Ahmed, the uh, the dead terrorist. Silence! I kill you! 
<laughs> All good stuff. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so yeah, the um, wait to hear back from uh, Dirt IRC, and hopefully we didn't uh, break anything. Uh, true in the IRC. Well, I will be back there, uh, arriving Thursday evening. I'll be there Friday and Saturday if you wanted to uh, try and hook up. Apparently, he lives like ten minutes away from Disneyland. Well, I'll be actually, as you said, in the IRC, Disney owned. Is that the same? Is that uh, Disney owned? Is that like uh, Rebma versus Amber? You know, is it, is it the, the the first reflection of Disneyland in the real world? I just you lost it. me. You never read any Roger Zelazny, did you? No. <laughs> you, you are missing out. Though, he is one of those uh, son-of-bitch authors who uh, died before finishing his work. That's the bullet, then. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's, you just need to know where to stop, because he did finish one complete work um, and was beginning its first sequel, basically the, the son of the main character in the first one. He began following his adventures. That's the one that remains incomplete. But the, the first uh. series, the, the Nine Princes in Amber uh, arc, did pretty much complete. So it, there's a safe section of his work you can read just with the understanding that it's going to end and, and be not continued by him because he'd be pushing up to daisies and all that kind of thing. I'm still uh, on my Stephen King kick. I uh, finished the Dark Tower series, but uh, he just came out with the sequel to The Shining some 26, 30-some years later after he wrote The Shining. He made a sequel. Following the, so, following the sun, I assume. Yeah, uh, in real time, so as an adult, because uh, he's like five in The Shining. But I'm reading The Shining first because I looked on the iTunes uh, bookstore and it was like three ninety nine, and I was like, yeah, I'll just download that and read it off my phone at work and mm-hmm. all that and stuff. And that's one of the stranger updates to Mavericks that they did, uh, the new uh, desktop operating system. And they just kept pushing it so much. They were like, hey, now the books that you can read on your iPad and on your phone uh, are on your desktop too. And I was like, why? What I need? Who would sit at their desktop and read a book? That seems a little odd, but I, I guess it's an option. I, I have no desire to actually do it, but it exists. I mean, there's, there's situations where you might not realize you're going to be held up somewhere, and all you have is your laptop and the ability to go out and grab a book and download it. Certainly better than no other options. If if it was a laptop, I can understand that, but my desktop computer is a is a true to form desktop computer not moving anywhere so it just seems like i have other options i wouldn't just sit and read i wouldn't sit here and read a book when i could be on any other website or doing something else on my computer so yeah coins in the irc yes uh spoiler alert you never truly finished the dark tower series and, and, oh, and spoilers, neither, yeah. neither, neither does Roland. But anyway, this is the song that never ends. No, actually, the, the implication is that it's iterating, and because yeah. there's one tiny little change, mm-hmm. and one one hopes that he finds his way. But we shall. Yeah, see. I don't think uh, that he's. I mean, Stephen King has shown no reservations about going in and. Mm-hmm filling in more stories because he's already he already inserted uh, a whole book between Wizard and Glass mm-hmm. and uh, Wolves of the Kala. And yeah, Wind Through the Keyhole. I read that when it came out. It was really good. It was good. Okay. I, I read the summary and it was kind of off-putting of the 
the story within the story idea. Within a story. Yeah. It's Inception. It's because I mean, you've got... It's basically they're camping on their way to Calabrian Sturgis, right? Yes. And so Roland, as is his wont, tells a story of his youth to his quartet. Yes. And then within that story, young him tells a fairy tale that is to a a child, right? Yes. And in that fairy tale that he tells, there are even more implications that imply that Roland's world somehow moved on from a version of our own real world. Therefore, already setting up in, you know, for anyone that didn't believe it before, all that stuff about how it's just a cycle. Everything's just a cycle. Yeah, I mean, it's Wheel of Time. It's all of this has happened before. All this will happen again. It's a very old idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyone that was surprised by the ending of the Dark Tower series, it's like, really? You didn't see that coming? I didn't see it coming, but neither was I particularly surprised that he chose that particular literary device. I was a lot happier reading it this time than the first time. The last time I read it, which was the first time that I read it, like, right? Oh no, no! What? It got better uh, on the second reread. Right, but the first time you threw, you're like, what? Yeah, whiskey tango fox trot. Did I just read? Yeah. And I marathoned it that time too, so I think I just—it was kind of a blur of uh, of all of the details and everything. And there was a lot of stuff on the reread that of that final book that I was like, I don't remember any of this ever happening. I kind of remember some of these details, you know. But there was a lot of stuff going on in there, and it was a lot better the second time around. You know, ten years later. Well, uh, let me, since you are uh, having technical issues because you have loaded uh, OS, what is it, 10.9 Mavericks or mm, something, uh, and blew up your IRC from the IRC, uh, Talia would like to know, did you enjoy the ending of the Dark Tower series, Barry? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And it was also, it, it was satisfying at the time because we all thought that, that was Stephen King was going to stop writing, but now it's even better knowing that he's he's continued writing, rereading it again. Uh, all the, I read the whole series again this year in the last couple months, and yeah, I love it. It's probably one of my favorite book series of all those kind of book series. Because it is. It's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit Wheel of Time. It's a little bit, you know, King Arthur. It's it's the future. It's the past. It's all, it's, it's a big cycle. And it ties into all of his other, like, well, not all of it, most of his other books, in some really real ways, so... Yeah, and really, I came at it from an interesting place of not really having read a lot of his other works. I had really cherry-picked the done, like, uh, Bag of Bones, and really only three or four of his of his really less mainstream stories, so I'd never done um, Salem's Lot, and I'd never done... Uh, who else did he, you know, he... I know he drew from Salem's Lot. The Stand. The Stand, yeah, The, the Walking Man... And um, the, the, Hearts in Atlantis because they part they pass through realms that have been affected by the super flu. It seems yeah, from, from Kansas. The, yeah. Yep. So I uh, I, I caught the references just because they they they, they had infiltrated geek pop culture enough where even someone who hadn't actually read them was aware of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it had less impact on me because I didn't you know ooh that particular character i already know well from you know my encounter with them at in this other literary work and then massive i mean spoiler alerts if you haven't read 
the Dark Tower series and intend to. You want to tune out for the next you know minute or two. <laughs> the decision to, as Stephen King, the author, to write himself as Stephen Stephen King, the writer, into the story, as the guy writing the story of Roland Duchesne and. It got a little weird at that point, and that that put yeah, off a lot but of people. Even, I, and I thought it was weirder the first time I read it, but rereading it just now, there is a lot more implication in there that he's not necessarily the god cr- that created that universe. He is just a cipher that can hear the song of the tower and or whatever, and and he can interpret that and, and and write those stories he didn't necessarily they even say he didn't necessarily create roland he just wrote about him but he did have some creative powers and now it's playing an ad <laughs> yep so the, it, it was an interesting thing I, I it didn't put me off quite as much as, as it may it seems to have put off others but oh well it, it was dark tower series i Thankfully, wait until he had finished it to even begin it. Uh, so I was, I, I was not one of those people who was trapped for 30 years waiting for it to be completed. Um, I wasn't quite that long. It was maybe about 15 years for me, 12 years for me. So, yeah, I've read The Gunslinger, the first book, probably six or seven times now. Yeah, I mean, each, each of the books is pretty radically different from the ones around it. That was one of the other things that was somewhat off-putting to people is is the who was featured in each book and the style of the storytelling jumped around a lot. And when you consider you're jumping through Stephen King's career and sometimes decades are passing between installments, that kind of variability is not, you know, is not surprising because he was a different person and, and even the pre and post almost dying when being run over by a minivan mm-hmm. you know changes you you know it, it has a little bit of an effect on you it, it can't not near-death experiences are almost by definition um altering in their nature which is actually great uh tying back into what i was first talking about because i'm now reading the shining which is one of his very very early works and it's very popular uh, was made into one of probably the best adaptation movie or most well received adaptations of his movie. Even though it, the the movie like takes a lot of liberties with the story, it, it's still pretty much the same story. Um, but just his writing and characters and everything from then in the seventies and and looking at it, and you're just like, this is this is crazy. It's good, obviously, it's really good. But he was in a way different place back then. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, that's. I'm excited to read this the sequel and just to see what the heck what the heck happens there. What do, what does they have to say about uh, of da- about Danny Torrance as he grew up? Yeah, and it's just you know sometimes those revisiting a particular universe long after the fact can play very well. Witness, um, and we we'll probably hit this again later in the show because you recently just saw Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. But Orson Scott Card circled back around to Ender's Game and has written some retellings of the same story. So Ender's Shadow is basically Ender's Game retold from another character's point mm-hmm. of view, which I thought he did really successfully. And you know, so sometimes going back to the well can result in some really interesting stuff. And sometimes you get... Uh, 
just obvious cash grabs or just not as interesting or gripping as the original. Uh, I'm thinking, who they had, uh, I mean, in the land of movie, you, know, you had Chinatown, and then years later you had the two Jakes, which was like, ah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah the nice try, but no, not as, not nearly as, as fun as the original. Or Indiana Jones 4. Yeah. That's, I mean, as much as I, I went into that wanting to like it, and you keep finding the occasional nugget in there that's likable as a whole, I just can't say that I liked it. Um, that, I was just, I was continuously taken out of the moment in the movie by just how cheap and crappy the Crystal Skull prop looked. <laughs> it looked like a bad Halloween prop. It was like plastic skull with crumpled up saran wrap inside of it. I mean, how? what made them think that that looked good on film? Yeah. I just, I, I just something as simple as, really? That's the crystal skull you went with? I mean, this is freaking Spielberg and Lucas, and that's the best you could come up with? Yeah, that and the uh, spoilers pyramid that turns into a spaceship. It's like, really? I mean, obviously and, that's isolated in the jungle, but really, they they haven't been enough people visiting that pyramid that they would have noticed that that turns into a spaceship. And they and the fact that you say spaceship when it was pretty well spelled out that it wasn't a spaceship; it was an interdimensional craft. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, that's I mean that was a that was kind of an important part of the plot that they failed to get across to you because the storytelling wasn't good. Um, when did they make that uh, from the IRC? When did they make another Indiana Jones movie? Set what four years ago? Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, of course, you obviously haven't seen it. It's called Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, and it gave us the lovely phrase to replace Jumping the Shark. So, Jumping the Shark comes from Happy Days TV show where they just went on with the series way too long, and they wound up having Arthur Fonzarelli uh, water skiing and jumping over a shark, because uh, that's exactly what the Fonz does. And so it's it's the term, jumping the shark means you've gone on too long, you should have stopped while you were ahead. And the new phrase to replace that is nuking the fridge. Because mm-hmm. in the beginning moments of this film, uh, Indiana Jones is fleeing from a test detonation of a hydrogen bomb, and jumps into a conveniently, and they have the moment where he flings the door open, and they you know make sure that clearly lying, clearly uh, readable there is the fact that this fridge is insulated with lead, uh, so people can't say, oh, that wouldn't protect him from the radioactive burst, and he's like, well, it's lead lined, so there, and jumps in the fridge and is tossed across the landscape and at that moment you're like wow they've they've gone too far uh talia in the irc reports it was 2008 that uh kingdom of the crystal skull came out you know what though i didn't like about that if i learned anything from after school specials in my childhood is that if you climb into one of those fridges you can't get out yeah that's the whole point is it great you survived the nuclear blast in time to suffocate but conveniently yeah. right as he landed the impact knocked the door open and yeah he, uh, convenient that dun 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 yeah though one of the funnier things i saw uh thanks to the miracle of reddit uh earlier this week was uh, an interview with uh they had benedict cumberbatch and harrison ford on promoting their various things on the graham norton show in the in the uk 
And they got on the topic of doing Im- impressions and impersonations, and apparently uh, Benedict does a fairly good Chewbacca. <laughs> and it turns out he does a spot-on, perfect Chewbacca, and he did it. And the most fun part of it is when they pan and you see Harrison Ford's reaction to him doing it is the best part of it. Not not necessarily that he nailed it, but just Harrison Ford like perking up, saying, "Ah, <laughs> look at the, did, did we take you back? Were you, were you back on set there for a moment?" And it's like, "Nah, it was pretty damn funny." Was somebody doing a Chewbacca voice during the filming, though, or was that all added in post? Who knows? I mean, when you hear the raw recordings of David Prowse doing Darth Vader's lines from inside yeah. the costume. You can understand why, during the filming of Star Wars, there was a great fear that they were just making a complete piece of crap. Because, (laughs) as filmed, before they did the audio redub with James Earl freaking Jones doing the voice, and doing all the sound effects, just the raw audio track from the day of shooting, it's the worst kind of B and C grade crap. And it's horrible and cringeworthy to watch. And it's... You've seen the final product. You know how awesome it sounds with James Earl Jones reading this with David Prowse from inside the mask trying to your pull up the Rebel Alliance or traitor. Take her away. It's just it, has, it, it doesn't have the same gravitas to it. <laughs> One of my favorite moments from the original Star Wars, and I just watched it uh, two weeks ago with a friend. And uh, I was, she wanted me to point out all the goofs and errors in the movie, so I was talking pretty much the entire time. Yeah, because there's no, there's no shortage. <laughs> but uh, there's a moment when uh, I think it's when they're on the uh, on the Death Star and he's talking to Grand Moff Tarkin, and that other guy comes up and says something. But Darth Vader's reaction when the other guy comes up and says something, he like full body turns like what? <laughs> <laughs> It makes me laugh every single time I see it. Tally in the IRC, yes, it was an atomic bomb, not a hydrogen bomb. They hadn't gotten around to the H-bomb yet. Fine. Nitpickers. Jeez, I'm kind of glad I'm not in the IRC. These people are (laughs) monsters. You, the master, well, let me get on the Skype here and tell you everything you did wrong today. (laughs) Pot. Hey, listen, that wasn't us that did that wrong, though. That was, you know... Lucas. No, no, that, no that was me. I, I said hydrogen bomb, and, and they did not represent it that way in the film. So that's oh. on me. Oh, I was going to blame George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Well, it's easy because they made that heap of should have been better and wasn't. I just wish they'd stuck with the original idea, which was Indiana Jones and the Secret of Lost Atlantis, but that changed into the kingdom of the crystal interdimensional alien skeleton thing. I don't know. Do we need to pause for some sort of break? Yeah, we're there. We started a little late, so I let us run a little long. Uh, So, we have reached the end of the tangents are kind of a big deal section. We shall return shortly for hmm, Geeks in a Gaming World. It's a happy, happy thing. I should probably queue up some music here while we're at it. Let's grab some Paul and Storm, because they are always good to reach for. Uh, Oh, hmm. I seem to have blown up my web browser. Uh oh. I blame I blame you, Barry. Alright. You're the variable. You're you're the thing that's not usually here. You go ahead. I'm not the hero the IRC needs. I'm the hero it deserves. Uh-huh. I can take it. Let him come after me. Well, just because it's you, I should probably go for Joko Skull Crusher Mountain, shouldn't I? I'm Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I got a really great uh Batman mask stocking cap this year uh, for Halloween. It's pretty awesome. 
That just sounds like something you'd rob a bank with. Uh huh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You are listening to Casually Hardcore in its interesting and still evolving form. Uh, though we've I've sorted out most of the uh, issues with the new rig, and this is a good torture test of video and audio, and seems to be going swimmingly smoothly, and will now disintegrate into a ball of flame because I've put the curse on it. We shall return right after this uh, little bit of Jonathan Colton. What a surprise, since Barry VA is on the air. It's Skullcrusher Mountain. We'll be back right after this. Secret lair on Skull Crusher Mountain. I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far. I see you met my assistant Scarface. His appearance is quite disturbing, but I assure you he's harmless enough. He's a sweetheart, calls me master, and he has a way of finding pretty things and bringing them to me. Them howling, my hungry children. Maybe 
Maybe you should stay and have another drink And think about me and you Oh, and I'm so into you But I'm way too smart for you Even my henchmen think I'm crazy I'm not surprised that you agree If you could find some way to be a little bit less afraid of me You'd see the voices that control me From inside my head Say I shouldn't care Uh, this is Danielle Corsetto from Girls with Slingshots, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio. Not Greek, just geek. Geeks in a Gaming World. Casually Hardcore continues live on alphageekradio.com with live simulcast on Versus the World Radio. And it's Geeks in a Gaming World. And we are geeks, are we not? Yes, we are. Do we game? Yes, I do. And what have you been gaming on lately? Oh, this has been a good week for me. I've only been playing two things exclusively. And they are? I'm still uh, enjoying a bit of the Hearthstone beta, uh, the uh, TCG from uh, our friends at Blizzard. Well, it's the virtual TCG. There are no actual cards. It is entirely (laughs) electronic, right? Yes, it's cash grab if there ever was one. Uh, And uh, the game... um, the Lego Marvel Superheroes game came out this week. See, those words together in one sentence just make me a happy man. Oh, it's so, so good. Uh, the the go oh yeah, with Telltale Games has been knocking it out of the park with every Lego game that they've done. Uh, they're all amazing. And when they do a Star Wars game that follows along with the movie, you're like, this is great, because I know exactly what's going to happen next. Uh, and with the Lord of the yeah. Rings ones, you're Darth like, Darth Vader's is- going to go, huh? Yeah, you know, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna blow up the Death Star, and then we're gonna be on Hoth, and then we're gonna, you know, it just follows the movies. Uh, the Batman ones that they've made have all been pretty extraordinary, and you never know what's gonna happen there because it's just kind of made up their own story. But you know, you're gonna be playing as Batman, and you're gonna get Robin, and you change suits. You know, Batman needs an ice suit for this level, and Robin needs you know, anti gravity boots. So you jump in a little no, machine no, and I, get anti gravity fla- boots. I just flashed to Batman on ice. Uh, yeah. Don't do that to me, man. Yeah, okay. So, the Marvel Superheroes game, I loaded up, start playing. I, they hit me with uh, Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk in the first level, and then Spider Man joins them. And it's absolutely everything you want it to be. You can use your booster rockets and fly as Iron Man. Anything you see as as the Hulk, you can smash, and you can turn into Bruce Banner to like fit into smaller places. And he's he's smart, so he can like do computers and stuff. But Iron Man can do that too. Uh, there are certain computer consoles that like so, like Spider Man looks at it and goes, I, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like or Wolverine, I, I don't know how to do that. But you know, you send Bruce Banner or Tony Stark after it, and they're like, no problem. I'm still reminded of the. Uh Astonishing X-Men bit when uh, Joss Whedon was writing it. And they have a great sequence where they're joining forces with the Fantastic Four to fight one of the Molemans creatures that has burned, mm-hmm. burned its way to the surface and was heading for the Baxter building. 
and basically the the X Men are doing it as a PR thing. They want to, they want good PR for mutants, and they have recently recovered Colossus from being quote dead for years, and so they have this entire page at least of Kitty Pride agonizing over how she needs to approach Peter and and how things are different between them, and and another page of Peter thinking about how he has to deal with Katya, and then a third page of just Wolverine bouncing around and slashing at the monster and, and kicking ass and generally being Wolverine with a single thought bubble at the very end, which is just, I really like beer. <laughs> yeah. The great thing about uh, the game, too, is I played for like an hour and I finished the first level and I was really like trying to like go into every nook and cranny and smash every little thing I could find because everything's made out of Legos and you can smash it. And I was a little intoxicated by the time I started playing it the first time I got it. No, so I was really, really, really going you know, full bore into this thing and, and enjoying every bit of it. And it finishes that first level and it's like, you've completed mission one of 250. And you've the way God intended. And it's like one, two, three characters and a screen full of question marks that then scrolls up to show the characters at the bottom that I unlocked. <laughs> I was like, oh god, this is going to take years, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. Excellent. Oh my gosh, my IRC just exploded and said, hey, guess what? You were also uh, in the VTW channel. Oh, hey, look! Barry I VA just, has just arrived. That was, that was random. Yay, Mavericks. Yeah, apparently. Steve Jobs <laughs> is really dead. They did something with the keychain. There was a whole lot of keychain things going on with Mavericks about like saving your passwords for this, that, and the other thing. And it is broken. You broke something that it fixed itself. Apparently, just give it some time. And we look. probably doesn't help that I have about fifty things open on my computer right now. But we look for things. We are smart. <laughs> it dug around. It figured it out. It's it's OS ten point nine packleds, right? Yeah, essentially. Moving on. So. Uh, you are rather enamored of uh, Lego Marvel Heroes. Marvel Superheroes, yeah. Superheroes. And the best part of it is, I just want one more thing. Most of the heroes, if you lose your life or whatever, and you die, you shatter into a, a, you know, little bricks, and then you just reappear. Of course. Wolverine doesn't die. <laughs> what does he do? He regenerates? He turns into an adamantium skeleton, looks at himself, and goes, huh? and then just regenerates the body. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's perfect. Every they put a lot of effort into making this game, making this game exactly the game you'd want. If I was to play with Legos of absolutely every Marvel character I can possibly imagine, this is what it would look like. And it, yeah, it's it's firing on all cylinders. See the and it's strange because yesterday uh, in just I needed some downtime from doing extreme uh, house cleaning, uh, extreme edition. Uh, just, just had. <laughs> Lots of stuff that, that badly needed attention, so I was doing kind of the spring cleaning levels of, of detail work in a lot of rooms and just needed to lay down and, and, and rest my aging bones for a bit. And recently got the Apple TV, so I was test driving that, and one of the things that I never bought but strangely showed up in our library was X-Men The Last Stand. And actually watched it through just to see, okay, is this, does this leave the same bad taste in my mouth as it did the first go-round. The answer is no, not not quite as much. It's still not great, and still pisses all over the Phoenix Saga. 
um, in its original form. But take it as its own movie. It had plenty of good Logan moments, which is what made me think of it as you were just discussing the uh, Lego uh, Logan doing his thing. Because he's fairly central to the plot on this one. Um, And they at least give him four or five decent Wolverine-y moments. And having seen the Wolverine since then, and knowing that they take the character to a much more interesting place from the events of Last Stand, which I think is an interesting thing Fox has been doing, is acknowledging all movies in their own personal little X-Men cinematic universe. And I'm left wanting, really looking forward to Days of Future Past way more, having rewatched Last Stand, having recently seen uh, The Wolverine. Now, go ahead. Re- related, they did release a new trailer for Days of Future Past this week. Yes, that's one of the things we're going to cover in the next segment. Is oh. To finally get a full teaser trailer for X-Men Days of Future Past. But I'm doubly interested in seeing it because as it's, it's uh, Singer getting reinvolved and promising to not ignore the movies that have happened that he was not involved with, but to try and get the franchise back on track to the place he left it with X-Men 2. So I'm curious as to to, to what degree he's going to use the time travel aspects of Days of Future Past to do a reset button. You know, how much of the really crappy continuity is going to be erased. Because... Um, if this weird mishmash of you have X-Men good first outing the X-Men 2 the rare case where sequel better than original and X-Men 3 ew and X-Men Origins Wolverine what? and then the Wolverine oh you guys can make an interesting movie based on storylines that were beloved in the comic books without pissing all over them. And First Class. Huh. What an interesting take on rewinding to the times when the X-Men were originally published. So placing it in the 60s and late 60s, early 70s when X-Men was originally published. Huh. That was actually kind of good. Giving me hope. But I have the pure, you know, the, the, the intense memory of you snatching hope away from me with Origins and um, X X Men United, X Men United uh, Last Stand. So I'm really of many minds on this. As much as I, I love me some X Men, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm always afraid that it's going to be another Origins Wolverine. I don't know. Yeah, I am a little bit too. And I'm such a huge fan of the actual original comic storyline, Days of Future Past. Which mostly centered around Kitty Pride as somehow, and they they used some mechanic about her power and how that allowed her to time travel and switch bodies, her old self and her young self. Right. I think they actually flip flopped. So her in the seventies, her younger self was inhabited by the the consciousness of her older self. That was one of the the in the original comic book telling of Days of Future Past, which was a really good storytelling segment of the X-Men universe. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they did. They had the dark future Kitty Pride 
So they have one storyline where she's in the current timeline and another timeline where the young Kitty Pride, who knows nothing, is inhabiting the body of Kate Pride in the dystopian future and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. If I remember correctly, too, it was far, far into the future, all the way to the year 2015. Yeah, yeah. You, you know how that works. I mean, there was an entire TV series, Space 1999. <laughs> yeah. If the Terminator movies are too believed, we would have all died in the robot apocalypse several times exactly. by now. It was fun to watch that there's actually a fan group that went has gone through and started editing Space 1999 into Space 2099. Mm. and just redoing the dialogue so they remove all the references to 19 so they'll take a line of dialogue and says you know what happened in oh, in 1998 and then they'll, they'll re-edit it so the person says what happened back in 98 um, and also going in and computer shopping out all the CRTs and putting in flat panel displays so it doesn't look quite so ridiculously retro um but they've since been kind of halted by the fact that there's an actual production company going in and looking at creating a new series called Space 2099, based on Space 1999. So who knows where that's going to go. I wonder if Marvel will fight them because of their 2099 stuff. Uh, that'd be a bit of a reach, because 2099 is a year, no matter who you are. I really th- X-Men 2099 is what really first got me into uh, comic books. Really? Yeah. It's kind of a really interesting backdoor way... But hey, everyone's gateway drug is, is unique. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Mine was New Mutants, actually. Oh yeah. Well, I, I my brother had been reading that stuff, so I managed to like pick that up relatively soon after it had started. And um, but yeah, that that whole twenty ninety nine thing, especially the X Men version of it, started. Uh, not too long after that whole X-Men reboot in, like, 91, so it was probably only 93 or so, so it wasn't too hard to just jump back a year or two to um, that stuff. And, but I, I specifically remember being in a comic book shop in uh, Milwaukee uh, visiting my uncle, and I went in there to get issue number two of X-Men 2099, and the guy at the comic book store was adamant that I should buy this comic book, that it would it was a seminal I- incident in like comic book history and he was pushing it on me and I was just like no thank you sir I'm here for one thing and one thing only and I I will forever kick myself for not buying the issue where <laughs> Magneto pulls the animantium out of Wolverine's body yep. with a hologram cover that the guy begged me to buy no you don't understand you have to no you're no don't oh. no sir I'm here to read X-Men 2099 the future uh huh yeah I'm a bonehead no that was, all, that was a fun plot point where Magneto just got fed up with him and said, oh really do you not know that I am the master of magnetism oh I've read it since I have it in trade paperback form uh, and I do have most of the issues surrounding that uh, but I do not have the hologram version of that ex- particular book. That see, is, for I thought sure. that was a fun rewriting of the character. The the reveal that his mutant healing factor was working overtime the whole time just to stop his body from rejecting the adamantium, such that when the adamantium was gone, it took the the healing factor to a whole new level of Deadpool levels mm-hmm. of uh, chop my arm off and I'll just grow a new one and I don't care. 
Yeah. Because um, now it's it's not having to deal with suppressing the, the rejection of the adamantium. It's just like, uh, yeah, they're bone claws and they break easy, but they grow back in seconds. So You know, that's something they've only addressed in the X-Men movies uh, one time, and I believe it was in X-Men Origins, is the fact that Wolverine weighs quite a bit more than the average person because of his adamantium skeleton. They only they only address the weight thing once when he sits down on the Harley soft tail. Yeah, exactly. They've dealt with him going through the metal detectors at airports and stuff before, and that was you know, one of the more enjoyable segments in Origins Wolverine was him just dealing with the claws for the very first time, where he he's standing in the bathroom and extends the claws and slices the porcelain sink in half by accident. <laughs> Oops. Just because he doesn't know how to deal with having, you know, 12-inch adamantium claws that are unbelievably sharp and unbreakable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's it, you know the flashback to where he had just the bone claws in Origins, um, and their the fact that they they got plated later with adamantium was always a, a curious. You know, no one they'd always played Wolverine as the mysterious character, and you never knew were the claws created wholly by the implantation process or what was the deal. Mm-hmm. And they eventually got around and saying, no, he he was born with them. They were they were part of his mutation, and we just put razor-sharp housings on them, because we could. <laughs> because, why not? We're Canadian. We're and, wacky like and that. And we're also a comic book, and this is the kind of stuff we do, because we can. There are no rules. So, getting back to Geeks in the Gaming World, we have oh, yeah. a story from EndGadget.com. Surprise, surprise! Sony's PlayStation 4 will require a day one update. What a surprise! <laughs> you take it out of the box, and there's already a 300 megabyte update to download immediately. Not to make it work, it'll work fine, but if you wanted to, to utilize the full functionality with uh, integrating with mobile devices and the remote app that they're intending to release two days before they release the console, to get full functionality, you're going to need the uh, 1.50 OS update. This is actually not all that surprising, because pretty much every console I have plugged in, even on launch day, as soon as it touched the internet and spoke to the to the mothership, it was, uh, hey, look, there's already a huge update available with all kinds of functionality. Especially and Nintendo. Nintendo was a particular uh, violator of that, and they still haven't released a bunch of the uh, functionality that they promised for the Wii U, for, uh, over which I am reasonably pissed off. Because mm-hmm. one of the promised features of the Wii U was very tight integration with TiVo devices and their TV service. The, the TVII, see what they did there? <laughs> um, which has never seen the light of day. They released the console without TV active uh, a month and a half or so into its life. They finally released the TV update, lacking the TiVo integration and then just went silent and dark uh, on the entire topic ever since then, and, and not a word has been spoken since. So They're, they're, why they're too busy cutting their Pokemon money. <sighs> I mean, I'm not sure if, if relations between TiVo and Nintendo have broken down, um, whether they realize that they can't actually deliver what they intended. Um, I mean, I think two generations of TiVo hardware have come out since the Wii U released. Um, I'll be really pissed off if they finally do release the TiVo integration and they say, well, it's just for the TiVo Romeo or newer. And it's like, 
I had the current model of TiVo that existed when the Wii U launched and you said you were going to have TiVo integration. You are welshing on the deal. And I don't know. I just I, I bought the press and I'm not, I'm not used to big companies like Nintendo completely not delivering on major features. And, and they probably don't consider that a major feature um, because it's only a certain percentage of their user base is going to have you know a, a brand name TiVo in the household. But it's something they said they were going to have. But of course, Blizzard said you know, WoW was going to have dance studios at some point and Path of the Titans and, and shit just changes when you're not looking. <coughs> I'm wondering what the uh, DVR status is in Japan. Do they have that? Is TiVo a thing? Is it a different company? I don't know. I don't know, but I, I know that the PS4 and Xbox One are both going supposed to have extensive DVR capabilities that will be available either at launch or shortly thereafter. And I'm really curious, because this is something it, fairly obvious functionality that if, if they want to dominate the entertainment center, if they can make their one box do everything, stream services like Hulu Plus and Amazon and Netflix, DVR local broadcasts off of antenna or cable system and play games, download games directly, play off of disc, have their box be the method of delivery. That's always been the dream of the console makers, is to be Mm -hmm. the center of your media universe. Because that gives them tremendous power and tremendous ability to make money by being the portal. So they're going through. You can you can insert the advertisements, and you can get the eyeballs on the. Uh, my loving wife just brought me um, a plate full of roasted garlic on crackers, and it Yum. smells really good. We roasted whole heads of garlic earlier, which, by the way, if you just want to make your house smell good, uh, put a head of garlic in the oven at four hundred degrees and just wait, and and awesomeness will wash over you uh, for for a good hour to come. Um, it's better than better than incense. It's just mm, garlic. Back to the console thing. Uh, I think it was just a couple weeks ago. I read that uh, one of the integrated features that is on by default is that anytime you get an achievement in a game, I believe this is on PlayStation, it will record whatever you were doing before that and create like a little clip of a highlight reel because they have that share button right on the controller and that's that's funny because one of the things that is enabled by this this day one uh update is if you don't apply the update the share button doesn't work (laughs) but yeah i mean youtube as if it doesn't have enough let's play videos on it already it's just going to be hey everybody watch me play playstation watch me play xbox Uh uh-huh yeah, and uh, you know, here's a highlight reel of me getting all 90 achievements in the new Assassin's Creed game. Yep, which the the PlayStation 4 recorded automatically for me, and I just had to press the button. Yeah, coins in the IRC. Yes, I I will be shocked and amazed if the Xbox One does not also have a massive update on day one. It's just they press the button on manufacturing, you know, a month or two ahead of time, and software refinement and development continues right up to the day of launch and beyond. So it would be surprising if they didn't have bug fixes and improvements and new things they wanted to show us that 
the earliest produced boxes that they had to produce two months ago to get them in stores in time simply don't have because the, the, the disk image didn't exist back then because they hadn't written the code. It is the, yeah. way, it is the way of things. Yeah. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? What? I'm sorry. So, I think it's interesting, but I, I certainly won't be <clears throat> an early adapter for any of these two consoles. I have everything I need currently. Mm-hmm. And no I'm time go- to play console games, sadly. <laughs> a three-year-old and an 11-year-old. Yay! I don't know. Uh, the Mar- Lego Marvel Super Heroes is pretty tight. It, uh, it, it See, that's gives you lots of opportunities that's to save. Play, I, can play play for a couple minutes. I can play that one with Nemesis. That's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. That's he, the other thing, too. It's two-player. He loves in. the Lego franchise. So that, will, he, that won't be a hard sell. You literally can't lose in this game. You you explode and you just start over. You just you just reappear right where you were. Though those of you watching on the video stream will see uh, me holding up the handful of uh, Disney Infinity cards for all of the additional uh, figurines that Nemesis has purchased since getting the game. Speaking of printing money, now those come in like uh, like an action figure, like a yep. card backed. Yep. It's an action figure, and these are the cards that come with them. So we have the the three-pack that came with the starter set with Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, Sully, and Mr. Incredible. And then, since then, we have purchased Randall from Monsters University, Mrs. Incredible, and Violet from The Incredibles. And these are, of course, this was, this was a... a a vital side trip during our trip to Disneyland and to get into the store to see what Disney Infinity exclusives they had because Disney is expert uh, at divorcing us from our money and they've only increased their power by absorbing things like Lucasfilm who is also expert at divorcing us from our money for really no good reasons. So one of those figures you bought was exclusive? You can only buy that at Disneyland? I'm not certain of that. They certainly implied that in their display, but I would be surprised if they actually did that. Though it would be genius to get people to pay, to pony up the uh, admission price to get into the park to be able to buy the uh, exclusive collectible. I've seen that there's some kind of like Toys R Us exclusive Crystal Sully kind of thing too. I don't know what that deal is that, but people are like scrambling to fight over them like stores will get one in or something. I don't know. Uh, Nymph in the IRC uh, Disney Infinity has eclipsed Skylanders, at least in recent times. So yes, uh, Nemesis absolutely was in, into Skylanders and is now transitioned into Disney Infinity, at least for the moment. Because Disney. Why the hell not? Well, you think of the stable of characters they have to draw on? Mm-hmm. I mean, Skylanders had all the Sony Online Entertainment characters to draw from. So a lot of video game characters... That just is eclipsed by Disney. So, I mean, in the intro, you're going by all these well-known franchises. You have you know, Nightmare Before Christmas, Little Mermaid, all the Pixar family, Star Wars, everything. is just, it's insane. So, yes, printing money. And it is a well-designed game. It is, it's, it's not just that it involves well-known characters. It is a good platformer with this adaptation uh, built into it where you change either which character you're playing, so your ability set changes, and you can also change 
the setting that you're playing in. So you can take Mr. Incredible into you know, Rapunzel land from Tangled. And you can take Sully from Monsters University into Captain Jack Sparrow's Pirates of the Caribbean land. And the mishmash of the challenges of the environment with the particular skill set of the character you're playing gets interesting. And you want to talk about replayability as far as mixing up different ability sets with different environments. They call it infinity for a reason because it has nearly infinite replay value. Value the more, of course, the more characters and the more settings that you buy because you have to purchase both of those. Money, print, 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 print. <coughs> on a related note, sort of playing as Mister Fantastic, the in the Marvel Superheroes game is by far the creepiest thing that I've ever done in a video game. Rubber Man, you mean? Yes, he. He uses his powers for everything and just stretches to walk and run and jump and punch and he can turn into different very odd shapes to open things and <laughs> I think I, I believe at one point he turned into a large key to unlock a giant door and I'm like alright I'll allow it but then later he turned into a giant <laughs> syringe for I'll some reason I'll allow it yes your honor just Absolutely creepy. Any opportunity I had, I was always switching back to Captain America on that level because Mr. Fantastic was really creeping me out. Well, mentioning Captain America is actually a nice segue into Researched Chaos coming up next. So let's uh, call this segment because we're pretty much at the point we should be. And hmm, whatever shall we listen to? Let's see. We, we brushed up against Paul and Storm earlier, but we didn't actually go there because, uh, well, you... So let's find one here. Hmm. Yeah, that one's boring. Let's find something a little longer and more interesting. I'm getting a Frosted Flakes ad on Justin TV. Congratulations. Nice to know I'm pimping for Kellogg's. Mm-hmm. They're great. Where's my cut? I have no idea. I just work here. But I digress. You are listening to Casually Hardcore, live on alphageekradio.com, brought to you by Doghouse Systems, on whose awesome broadcast and gaming rig you are currently listening. We have our uh, Mobius laptop, which is basically their entry-level gaming portable rig. If this is their entry-level, holy crap, what must the uh, top of the line be like? Because, damn, uh... I have not yet found anything that this thing cannot do by way of simultaneous audio-video encoding, and I could probably play World of Warcraft while I'm on the air, but that would make for really, really profoundly crappy radio. So (laughs) check them out on the web, doghousesystems.com. They generously, uh, deeply discounted this uh, Mobius laptop by way of their way of donating to uh, the station, and then the rest of you guys all ponied up the rest of the money, for which we are eternally grateful. In fact, I believe this week is when we finally get around to actually naming some names in the uh, fourth half of the show later on. So stay tuned for that. We shall return right after a little pollen storm. This is Nugget Man. We'll be back right after this. Robert C. Baker died on a Monday. We all know his work. Although few knew his name A Cornell professor Who taught poultry science Forever enshrined in the Poultry Hall of Fame 
84 years worth of food innovation. Chicken dogs, turkey dogs, and turkey ham. Beyond them all stands Baker's greatest creation. For Baker begat chicken nuggets for man. Chicken meat. His new method led fast food chains in the 80s to develop and market a new bite-sized snack food made from mechanically recovered meat and anti-foaming products. Reconstituted meat slurry and extra chicken skin for its binding properties. The burgers is morning with Popeye. The colonel has arranged a 21-gun salute. The churches are silent, but for Wendy's weeping, and Ronald has hung up his big yellow clown suit. Robert C. Baker's last will was specific that his bones be removed and he be ground up real fine, and to place his remains into small cardboard coffins and bury the pieces six at a time.
Hi there, this is Scott Johnson from The Morning Stream, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio. Researched Chaos. Casually Hardcore continues live on alphageekradio.com. Lo, here we are in Researched Chaos. Brought to you by our all-volunteer research team, who hangs out on the forums, in the community, as it were, on alphageekradio.com. Contributors this week include MacBit, not to be confused with MacButt, who named the thread for this week, which is the November 3rd, 2013, Cap is Back edition. Also, because he knows I'd like to say his name, Boba Fetish. Oh, yeah, and some other guy. Barry Vaughn Artistic or something. I don't know. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Don't care. (laughs) Thank you for scouring the web in search of odd, interesting, and nerdy things to speak of. Now, as we mentioned earlier, there is a lovely X-Men Days of Future Past teaser trailer available out there. We get to see... Snippets. I don't think this is necessarily a teaser trailer. I think this is a full-on trailer. Well, I mean, it's it's not a teaser in that most teaser trailers are like a single image or a single sequence and then a title and maybe some dialogue. So this is a this is a proper trailer. It's just the earliest full full trailer. So we get to see the uh, old guard, new guard, because this is this is basically a combo meal of. The actors from the original three X-Men movies, and then the actors from X-Men First Class, and the return of Brian Singer as uh, the person helming it. So, I don't know. What do you? What was your impression on first viewing? Um, <clears throat> a guy at work asked me, uh, "Why is it if Wolverine never ages, he's got gray hair in this?" And I was like, "Because he's older," and he didn't buy that. Right, but um. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about how in the original story, uh, Kitty Pride was like the crux of the time travel connecting thing. Yep. And it's weird that they changed it to Wolverine, but Kitty Pride's still in the movie. Right. Uh, because we saw her as played by... Um, Ellen Page. Ellen Page, yeah, Juno. Um, I think it looks cool. It's going to be interesting. Um, there's a lot of flashes of... Uh, there's flashes of some future mutants there, um, Bishop and Blink and some other guy I couldn't quite peg right off the bat. Uh, it, may but, been, uh, it may have been Quicksilver. May, oh, Quicksilver is... He's definitely in the movie. He's appearing in this movie, and he's appearing in Avengers Age of Ultron, played by two different actors. Two different movie studios. Remember, the I know. Fox but universe is not the same as the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Somehow, Marvel uh, is allowing Fox to use the character, and Fox is allowing Marvel to use the character. I'll allow it. Baffling. I know, it's... it's the whole well, why can't we all just get along uh, I do know that it's confirmed that in Age of Ultron uh, the guy playing Quicksilver is the same guy who plays um, uh, the main character in that superhero movie with Hit Girl Kick-Ass Kick-Ass yeah the main character in Kick-Ass is the guy playing Quicksilver in Age of Ultron I have a hard time wrapping my head around that I'll have, I will I will need to see it the same way I needed to see Carl Urban as uh Dr. McCoy. Yeah. And, and but, then but, totally bought it. 
Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, the X-Men trailer, I don't know. I've never really been a big fan of any of the X-Men movies. The Wolverine was the only exception because that's stuck so close to the source material. Uh, I've just been kind of miffed about everything they've done with every X-Men movie. It's just kind of just... This is their chance to redeem themselves. I mean, they're using they're using the, the tactical nuke of storytelling. Time travel. That's right, yeah. And... They're using the strongest, and I understand completely why they switched the focus to Wolverine, because he's the well-known character in the movie universe that they've established. She was, a, you know, she was a major part of the comics, so using her as the person in the past and the future made perfect sense. Here, he is the beloved and much overplayed character, much like if you watch <coughs> pretty much all the Star Trek Next Generation films. They're all the Picard and Data dog, oh, yeah. dog and pony show. Well, every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation is, uh, how is Data going to get us out of this situation, and how are we going to get out of this situation without Data? No, it's, it's, not, it's not. They don't rely on it as heavily. They basically, and they will, they will focus on, you know, there are episodes that are clearly about a certain character. The writers never seemed to be able to get themselves away from the Picard and Data storytelling hour in all the movies. That's true. Generations is about the only one that wasn't wholly focused on the two of them. And then from that point forward, from First Contact onward, every single one of them was completely Picard and Data-centric with, oh yeah, and these other guys are here too and may do a few interesting things. They've fallen into the same routine with, well... Wolverine is our character who is well known and loved in nerd circles and by the general public. He's the, well, he's, he's he's the, the sexiest bro- of all the X-Men. Well, they, they've chosen a, a, an actor to portray him who nails it and is appealing to a wide variety of people. So they've gotten in the habit of leaning on him really hard to get people to pay money to see the movies, which is ultimately their only guiding factor. So we wind up with, well, what have we gotten so far? We've gotten three X-Men movies, all where Wolverine figured heavily into the plot. We got X-Men Origins, Wolverine, so the one origin story they've bothered to tell in what was supposed to be a series of movies about origins about all the X-Men uh, we did X. Ex- we did Wolverine and stopped basically because it yeah. sucked. And we did another standalone movie in that universe with guess who, Wolverine. And we've done how many X Men movies without Wolverine? One. And he, we even gave him a bit part in that because can't have it without him, can we? Yeah. So his. Bit, well, I mean, it's going to go the same way with the <clears throat> the other Marvel universe. Uh, you know, Iron Man plays heavily into all of those. And, I mean, on the star quality chart, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Hugh Jackman are pretty much equivalent, I would say, in, in Hollywood right now uh, for draw. Right. and that, and But I think, I mean, Avengers was less guilty of it than the X-Men franchise. I think Fox oh, has, for sure, yeah. has been worse. I, mean, I think they, they did well to hire... Joss Whedon to write it and direct it because he, he knows how to do ensemble casts. That's kind of his his thing. So, yes, 
Robert Downey Jr. has an inordinate amount of screen time in the Avengers. But I don't feel any of the other characters were underserved. Even you know, Hawkeye, who was basically nobody. We'd seen him for like you know, 52 seconds in Thor before this. Got a decent amount of character development. And he spent most of the movie mind-controlled and not being himself. So it a balance can be struck. It's not perfect. It is definitely weighted one way or the other. I'm just... I'm Hugh Jackman out. Um, I think he does a fantastic job playing Wolverine. I think he's nailed the Logan side of the character perfectly. And and there's a reason why he's popular. He is a smartass. He doesn't take a lot of things seriously. He has a superpower... Who wouldn't want eternal youth and the ability to regenerate from nearly any injury? Um, so there's a lot of appeal there. He, he's, he's Superman without being a Boy Scout um, and without the ridiculous level of powers. So he's a little more relatable and a little... You actually fear you know he might not be able to handle some of the things that are, are thrown at him. I'm hoping, and I was a little off-put by them saying, oh, look, now it's Wolverine doing the traveling, and yeah, why does he have gray hair? Because he doesn't age. Because they think the average uh, viewing member of the public is an idiot and needs the visual cue of gray hair to say, ooh, this must be the future. Yeah. Uh, Well, it is kind of iconic for Days of Future Past Wolverine that he's got the little bit of gray in his hair and the leather jacket. Before he's vaporized, yeah. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> in the comics, Wolverine dies in the future. Kind yeah, of. basically. Well, they, they, I mean, they, they, the Sentinels kill him in the way you would need to kill someone like him, which is basically melt the flesh off of his adamantium skeleton to the point where there's nothing left to regenerate. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it's the typical dark future where everybody's dead. Everything's gone horribly wrong. All the people you love are dead, and only I think Rachel Summers survives. See, you were talking about how Joss Whedon is so good at writing the ensemble cast movies, and that's what I never was able to buy into with the X-Men movies, is that they were just so horribly executed, because the whole idea of the X-Men was that they are this team of people that support each other and train together and live together, and in the first X-Men movie, it was about them fighting and backbiting with each other, and then when they fought any big fights, they split up. Except for the, and except for and the it, climactic battle. I think that was supposed to be the, oh, they've learned to work together, but it, it could have been executed so much better. Yeah, and it was always a huge disappointment in that in that regard, because that was the thing that I loved about the X-Men, is that they were amazing working together. And the way it was executed perfectly was in that amazing 90s Fox television show, yep. uh, Saturday Morning Cartoon. They'd have these epic battles where, like, they were fighting each other, and you know, there's fighting going on in the foreground, and the background, and they'd pan around the room, and everyone's fighting, and they'd switch who they were fighting against, and it was just like that's that's what the X Men's supposed to be like. Yeah. Instead of just a shot of of Wolverine going snicked, and oh, I guess the battle's over. Yeah, yeah. It, we're in the Statue of Liberty. We're all going to split up and have separate fights. I just work here. Well, but also, you, but what you just described was them basically panning from separate fight to separate fight to separate fight. So it can be done well. We're just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful because I mean, first class. I liked first class a lot, despite the liberties they took with the the, the storylines and the continuities. I 
I came away very satisfied with that one. It was a good... Um, you know, pre- yeah. Prequels usually leave me pretty dry. And this was a prequel that I felt nailed it. Um, and they, they nailed the feel of the late 60s, early 70s beautifully. And using the Cuban Missile Crisis as the framing for the conflict, I thought was fairly genius. And it was well done. And, and it was very believable that these events could have taken place and then been portrayed by the media as something very different. Well, I mean, that draws directly from the first issues of the X-Men comics when Magneto stole a missile from a military base and was threatening to lob it at wherever, the local, you know, probably New York City or whatever, and, you know, the five original X-Men went and stopped him. Yeah, it's, no, it's drawing the good story elements that work. That's when I heard that they were using Days of Future Past, the comic story arc as the basis for the movie I was immediately hopeful because I knew that was a solid well told story that had a definitive beginning middle and end that they could frame a screenplay around and I'm, just, I'm hoping they deliver on it I'm, my, my hopes are up on this one as much as I've as, as cynical as I have become about what Hollywood delivers on some of my beloved franchises I'm hopeful on this one similarly we've seen our free, first Brig big preview trailer for the Captain America sequel, The Winter Soldier, where they've also taken from another story arc, The Winter Soldier story arc, uh, another revered story arc in the Captain America universe, arguably a much larger universe, because Captain America stories have been around for a very long time. But this is one of the more recent uh, really big uh, event story arcs from Cap's uh, Marvel Universe. And I like simple things about it. I like the, the redesign of his outfit. Um, I didn't really buy... I didn't like the Stars and Stripes that they used in Avengers. You know, yeah, their, their I get you. I mean, I, and they, they, had, they put the lines in the script of... You know, um, you know, people may need a little old-fashioned. It's like, I see you're, you're trying to adapt his costume on the page into the movie, and that just doesn't work. And they did it right in X-Men, and they even had the glib line in the original X-Men, what do you expect, yellow spandex? And you know, They did it right in the first Captain America movie, too. Right. I mean, he basically had a, a, a an adapted... He had his stage costume, where it was deliberately ridiculous because he was selling war bonds, over which he just threw his BDUs and went off to, uh, not BDUs, his um, LBEs, and went off and kicked ass and just happened to grab the uh, flak helmet off the shelf with the letter A on it. How convenient. Uh, which, and that costume they took right from the Ultimate uh, right. Universe. And was very believable. And... The, I mean, and we're using terms like believable to describe a superhero movie. And I understand the irony inherent in that. Um, but they've, I don't know, made the, the, it seems in the bits you see from the, the trailer that it's more practical, more believable as something as someone who was working for a black ops operation like S.H.I.E.L.D. would wear uh, to get their work done. Basically, it's body armor. Um, with a little bit of stylization to say, hey, I'm that guy. Um, to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies when they see me. Ah, 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 ah. Um, 
So there's there's fun bits. They seem to be playing the trying trying to be current eventish about it because um, there's a, a very much in the last few years a feeling of with all the revelations about NSI NSA and their domestic spying programs and hey Big Brother is watching you that Shield may not be the upstanding looking out for the little guy organization uh, that it appears to be or that portrays itself to be and it's been made very clear that the character that Robert Redford plays in the movie is not the most ethical of people to say the (laughs) least Um, there's a great bit in the trailer where you know Cap is standing in an elevator that's slowly filling with people and the vibe is basically they've been sent there to detain him and Cap's reaction is he's he's completely on to the whole thing he just basically says so before we get started would anyone like to get off <laughs> and then they exactly. had and then they had the rapid fire segment which ends in with everyone in the elevator completely knocked on their asses and Cap getting off the elevator unscathed cuz he's Captain America but the the bit about it is those are all shield agents that are surrounding him so what's going on between Cap and Shield? You know, why is Shield trying to subdue Captain America? So th- this sounds like it's going to be a story of not all that different from the Avengers, where Cap has issues with what Shield has in mind with the whole Phase Two and repurposing and, and learning from Hydro weapons and trying to, you know, have the super weapon for good reasons and not so good reasons. Who knows? And of course. The other plot device that they introduce in the trailer, which is the titular Winter Soldier, someone who can stand his own against Cap and kick his ass, and I won't go into the spoilers for anyone who has not read the comic books, but it is a significant figure from Captain America's past, as will be... Uncle Ben! As, uh, I think you're crossing the streams there. (laughs) Yeah, I am. With great power comes a big honking shield with a star on it. That's right. It's about the only red, white, and blue, or, or red and blue bit that uh, survives into the new costume, it looks like. Everything else is all black and silver, it looks like. Which is fine. So, no shortage of nerdy goodness in the uh, X-Men, or the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, there was one more story on that uh, note. It was the one that I put in at the end there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, not surprisingly... Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, <gasps> surprise, surprise, will have a crossover with Thor The Dark World. And they've got a freaking, oh, auto-playing videos, uh, advertisements on pages are the devil. Um, not surprisingly, they will have a crossover with uh, Thor The Dark World, where there will be later in November, after the movie releases, there will be an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that basically picks up right where the movie leaves off. So there'll be some kind of fallout from the events in the Dark World that will directly affect and be the plot of an entire episode, basically an artifact or an item or something left over from the battles and things that happened during the Dark World will inform this whole episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which to me is basically working as intended. That was the whole point of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was to become this interstitial material that knits all the storylines of the various movies together 
and gives you this ongoing continuity of, of the Marvel Universe that jumps from movie to movie and gives us stories to watch in between that keep us interested and then either lead us into movies or react to events in the movies because they want us to pay for the movies and they want us to watch their TV show and it's just it's one big fat it's basically the, the video version of Marvel Comics I mean, the number of times that Marvel Comics refer to each other and interlace with each other to attempt to boost sales and get people interested in other titles I can't count uh, how many times that happens because it happens every issue of every comic it feels like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I am distracted by the IRC. They're talking about Miles Morales and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. This is the new, this is the uh, Spider-Man Ultimate, right? Uh, no, that's regular universe. Uh, Spider-Man's... Uh, well, you know, they said he's dead. He's not really dead. Uh, Dr. Octopus found a way to switch bodies with him. Uh, and, oh, of course uh, he did, because <laughs> it's comics. Because it's comic force, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Otto Octavius is running around as Spider-Man and Peter Parker right now, and has been for a, a minute, but um, there is this other kid, a black kid, who is uh, running around and calling himself, also calling himself Spider-Man. Does he have and spider powers? They, uh, I don't know exactly how it works, I haven't read any of it, but I know that they've interacted with each other. And But, but when Peter was still, when Spider-Man was still Peter Parker... They had interacted with each other, and uh, and and Spider Man was just like, "It's fine, uh, that's cool, whatever." If you want to, there could be two Spider Man. It doesn't really matter. I'm not, so I'm not bothered by this. Yeah, it's cool. Hmm, interesting. No, see that that just feels like the death of Superman thing, where you had the the multiple candidates for Superman ness afterward, and the one that I, just, I never, I just had issues with was Steel. It's like, oh, Steelworker can suddenly build himself a power suit to give him largely the powers of Superman. Sure, that totally makes sense. It makes even less sense when the, by the fact that they made a movie out of it starring Shaquille O'Neal. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. No, they didn't. I deny it. <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure that happened. I refuse to look directly at that one. <laughs> <sighs> now, all I can think about is that... Uh, that that gif on Reddit that you always see of Shaquille O'Neal spraying himself with that uh, gold bond spray and shaking. Like, ooh. (laughs) My brain hurts. (laughs) Brain hurty. Yeah. Speaking of huge nerd franchises and movies and adaptations and things. So, Star Wars. I've heard of that. The new post-sale to Disney... J.J. Abrams helming the ship, not just episodes 7, 8, and 9, but single movies focusing on beloved characters like Boba Fett. News from that, uh, excuse me, land. J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan replace Star Wars Episode 7 writer. So they've replaced Michael Arndt as writer of the new entry in the Star Wars series, with a well-loved and successful writer from the existing Star Wars canon. This makes me very hopeful that J.J. Abrams has his head on straight regarding 
reverence for the source material, knowing who to hire that knows the universe and knows how to tell an interesting story from the universe. So this is from uh, 3news.co.nz, New Zealand for the win. Director J.J. Abrams is taking over screenwriting duties on the forthcoming Star Wars sequel following the departure of movie scribe Michael Arndt. No official reason has been given for Arndt's exit from the highly anticipated Star Wars Episode Seven project, but the filmmaker has now recruited Lawrence Kasdan, who co-wrote 1980's Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, to help him with the storyline. That's right, kids. The co-writer of Empire Strikes Back generally held to be the best damn Star Wars movie ever will be helping J.J. Abrams write Episode 7. Your anticipation should thusly be increased. Yeah, this is a good thing. I, I like to hope that this is a good thing. I've seen things, even with good people involved, go horribly wrong. Dollhouse. Um, but... I think this is a sign that they're willing to do what is necessary to tell a good story in the way that fans of the universe are accustomed to receiving them. Um, so the fact that they've got you know someone who was greatly involved in one of the best bits coming back to uh, help guide the process makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, the quote from Abrams, there are few, there are very few people who fundamentally understand the way a Star Wars story works like Larry. And it's nothing short of incredible to have him even more deeply involved in its return to the big screen. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. So here's hoping, because we've all, generally speaking, the prequels were not well received by adult fans of Star Wars. Um... And despite, you know, Lucas's protestations that, well, it wasn't written for you, it was written for kids, and, you know, you were a kid when you received it. No, they were just really crappy, George, I'm sorry. Anyone who writes on the page a a line of dialogue and writes the word out, yippee, and thinks that's a good line of dialogue for the future bane of the Jedi uh, Order, needs counseling. (laughs) <laughs> Yippee! Go back and watch episode one. It's there. I know. I like episode one. I like parts of episode one. Uh, basically, the whole dynamic between young Obi Wan and Qui Gon Jinn, I think, is awesome, and does a great way and does a great job of illustrating the whole master apprentice. Uh, dynamic of the Jedi Order, and you see enough bits of you know who you would future in the future would come to know as Obi Wan Kenobi in you know the young version of him. The whole the choice of the actor for young Anakin ugh, just didn't work for me, and what he was given to do to prove himself you know on screen and just the whole the, the bit. We got in the Starfighter cockpit and magically flew into orbit and destroyed. I just. No, see, this is my theory. This is an eight year old kid. Eight year old kids do not know how to pilot Starfighters. I don't care how many pod races you've been in. A hovercraft is not a spacecraft. 
R2-D2 is the hero of all of those movies. Because he was actually flying it. The whole he was actually time. doing everything. He, uh, I, I would totally buy that. He was actually piloting... No, he'd been blown up by that point in the X-Wing, on, on Luke's X-Wing. So Luke actually blew up the Death Star. Because he'd had his, he's had had the top of his head shot off by that point in the story. In the okay, movie. other than that, but you know, I I still think that he made the whole thing about it, like Obi Wan had to go turn off the reactor to for the tractor, tractor beams. beams. It's just oh, really? You couldn't have done that on the computer anywhere. You couldn't have the asteroid who's been able to magically do everything else do this one thing. No, you got to go pull the lever and do it yourself. Okay. Though, the concept of a protected system like that would make... Uh, I can buy that. Where something, you know, a, a defense or offense system, a good design would be to isolate that from remote control. Yeah, well, you know what? It's just further proof that the Empire was truly and really righteously evil because there weren't railings anywhere on that Death Star. You noticed that, huh? Yeah, railing death. Gotta throw those those white-suited stormtroopers to their... Oh, Wilhelm scream! Oh. But anyway, so... If you are worried about the continuation of the Star Wars saga, here is reason reason for hope. They, they, they have a talented writer who has proven himself with the material. Here's hoping. We'll see how much they lean on the existing books, of which there are some really good stories to be told. Um, I don't. I'm not so foolish as to think they're going to use the Timothy Zahn novels as awesome as they would be, and as obviously written to be adapted in the screenplays as they were. Go back and read them, and they are they are obviously here's the first, second, and third movies we will do after Star Wars. Um, I don't. I'm sadly have to admit we're not likely to see Grand Admiral Thrawn on the screen anytime soon, which is an awesome, an awful thing because he was an awesome villain. Although. You know, if push comes to shove, they do always have the option of putting Wolverine in the movie. Let's see, nymph in the IRC. <laughs> He's going to ignore me. <laughs> I what did you? I'm sorry. Did you say something very? <laughs> la 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 la. I do not hear you speaking. <sighs> no, I'm I, yes, I, I am going to ignore you completely. Actually. Um. So anyway, yes, there is there is uh, reason to be hopeful that the people in who are steering the ship have at least at least have the right intentions. And we'll see what those intentions yield. Uh, moving on, just as a as a a fun and cute aside from news.yahoo.com. Captain Kirk to command new Navy destroyer. The commander of the U.S. Navy's sleek new guided missile destroyer, which launched late last week in Maine, has a name to match its space-age look. Captain Kirk. Captain, and it's really, it's actually Captain James Kirk, the prospective commanding officer of USS Zumwalt, will lead the 610-foot vessel, the Navy's largest destroyer, and the first of the new Zumwalt-class ships designed for... Littoral operations and land attack, the Navy said. So, someone named their child, I guess, with the prophetic notion that they would one day join the Navy and captain a vessel. That's just... 
weird and funny and fun all at once. So Captain and you James know, Kirk. with global warming and the ice caps melting, he could boldly take that ship where no man's gone before. This is indeed what we find, where no one has gone before with a naval destroyer, because it's things that were not once underwater now are. So, in the land of Told You So, and knew this was coming, from Bloomberg Business Week, or just businessweek.com, Netflix poised to report passing HBO in paid U.S. customers. What a surprise. And in other news that I read of this week, uh, Comcast has broken the seal in that they are offering, for the first time ever, a package with just internet service and HBO, including HBO Go. So you can buy their regular internet package and for a small amount of money extra also receive HBO and their internet component, HBO Go. It's on. We can finally start unbundling the good content from the crappy content on the cable service. Here's hoping and praying that this catches on and becomes the norm and a la carte purchase of networks that are producing stuff that we care about becomes the norm. And you can buy just HBO to get Game of Thrones. And you can buy just, let's see, AMC to get Mad Men. And buy... And The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead. And not buy Seafy Channel, because they produce dreg and dreck like Sharknado, which my wife was watching in its entirety earlier today, and I may have to divorce her because of it. And Heroes of Cosplay. That exists? Uh-huh. See, this is the reason I cut the cable. Because I, I, I was blissfully unaware that that even existed until you mentioned it just now. Because I get just my broadcast channels and everything else is filtered through my various internet services. But I didn't know that that was out there. I'm assuming it's made of suck and fail. Um, it was pretty awful at the beginning, and it's got, from what I understand, it got better. I only watched the first couple episodes, but yeah, it was messed up. Uh, in other TV news, uh, are you up to date on Arrow? No, I have. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm behind on all my TV viewing. I'm I think the only thing I'm completely up to date on is Agents of Shield because they've just recently looped back around to rebroadcasting the pilot, and. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't Daily, Daily Show and Colbert Report are the only things I'm up on at the moment. I don't have a whole lot of time on my hands. I know that Dax and Grail have been watching Arrow, and yes, d- damn, that show is getting good. <laughs> and I'm getting. I mean, I was really. I watched it for a good two thirds of the first season, and and it lost me around the Huntress time yeah, period. And I can they, see that. And they've and they've they've said no, really, you need to go back and it, it yes that whole three episode arc really profoundly sucks it gets better so they, they've, they've convinced me to return I simply haven't found the time to return and check in on Oliver Queen and I mean I am a I'm a dyed in the wool Marvel boy um, so getting me interested in a DC property is is a vanishingly small proposition. Um, if it's not Batman. Superman or Batman, 
<laughs> you mean Batman? You pretty much. <laughs> um, no, actually, I'd like Man of Steel. Um, huge gaping plot holes in it, and the the, the great how it should have ended uh, take on Man of Steel was freaking awesome. Yes, uh, you've seen that one. Oh yeah. Just, just go, if you're listening and you don't know, just do Google search of how it should have ended Man of Steel. They do great animated uh, recreations of movies and poking fun at the massive plot holes. They do a great one for the J.J. Uh, Abrams reboot of Star Trek. Um, Prometheus one was pretty good. Prometheus one was pretty damn awesome, too. They're hilarious, and they, and they, and they, just, they poke fun at the, the huge gaping plot holes that the people in the movies seem to just miss. And the one for, for Man of Steel was particularly good, because it, it truly says, wow, if anyone had been even conscious during <laughs> during these portions of the movie they would have obviously drawn these exact conclusions and the movie would have been much shorter and would have destroyed New York City a hell of a lot less um, so yeah seek that one out because it's it's very very good but getting me to, to buy in I mean I'm, I'm torn because on one hand I think animated movies wise Warner Brothers and DC have done a fantastic job of of exploiting their properties. The 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 movies they have made are do that wonderful job of appealing to you know teenagers through adult fans very nicely. Um, they're not necessarily things that are put in front of young kids, but you know someone twelve or older, and they're interesting in different ways. To people all the way up through you know 40s, where I am, so I enjoyed Under the Red Hood. I've enjoyed Justice League Doom, which was completely awesome because it was the Saturday morning cartoons Legion of Doom done well. Yeah, and I was completely cynical going into it and came away saying, "Wow, that was actually really entertaining." <laughs> so, enter- animated movie wise, they get me every time. Uh, Batman Year One was really freaking good. Um, the just the Justice League stories that they've done, uh, Batman or Superman versus the Elite, um, the Crisis on I forget what the title is. Basically, the Justice League going to an alternate Earth uh, was really well done. So they've they've got my attention in their movie franchises. Even the, there was a Green Lantern movie with, um, what's his name, Nathan Fillion, voicing the yeah. Hal Jordan. It was really fun and entertaining. And I don't know jack about the Green Lantern mythos, really. And they grabbed me, entertained me, and, and put me back in the real world, and all was well. But Arrow, or Green Arrow, Oliver Queen, is, is one of the standout characters that I've always felt an affinity for. And every representation I've seen him when he was written by J. Michael Straczynski for a while he was written by Kevin Smith for a while and that the, the connections to those those people is what drew me in and really fun, interesting they kind of reserved a lot of the grittier nastier stories for Green Arrow maybe because he wasn't one of their mainline heroes and were willing to say well, we'll, we'll drag him through the mud and kick him around a bit because He's not Superman, so we're not going to, you know, scar any young people's psyches by kicking Superman to the curb, Doomsday. Um, and for whatever reason, the stories of Green Arrow have been more interesting to me and the stuff they've put him through. 
So I was more likely to tune in. That's the reason I tuned into Arrow at all, because I was not a Smallville viewer. Smallville totally failed to, to captivate me. Um, and I really initially had to overcome a lot of... I'm I'm not a 20-something, and I'm not a tween, and so this the whole vibe of that whole category of programming is not it's clearly not aimed at me but there was enough of the DC universe underpinnings and knowing where the character was going um and and the rewrites they did of him were interesting and compelling and say hey that's an interesting direction to take but they the the writing got really weak in the middle of the first season so they they lost me and I'm glad to hear that they've recovered from that and seemed to be back on task now i just have to find the time to tune back in and see what's going on so hearing you saying that it is worth watching further encourages me to get off my ass and 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 tune in all right and one other tv bit have you ever checked out the british show misfits I have not, though multiple vectors have said you must go check this out. These, you know, this is a show where they're not they're don't shy away from killing off major characters <laughs> and completely rewriting the universe regularly. And it's on the various streaming services again. This this is another one that is in my mental queue, and there's simply not enough hours in the day. I want yeah. to watch it. They're in series six right now, which they have said is going to be the last. Uh, they kind of do one of those British TV things or Japanese TV things where, like you said, they're not afraid to kill off characters. They re- they kind of hit a reset button and just started over with new yeah. cast in the same situation after two series or three series or whatever. But yeah, I mean, a brilliant show, a hilarious show about what if the worst people possible got superpowers and they're not even like good superpowers. They got like crappy superpowers. And how would they deal with it? And it's it's a really funny show. Yeah, Nymph in the IRC. Yes, it was Crisis on Two Earths. Thank you very much. I couldn't remember the the, the proper name of that uh, animated series. Oh yeah. And yes, the Pacific Rim of how it should have ended was also freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Just seek out how it should have ended because it's it's all kinds of win and, and greatness. All right, we have uh, creatively and circuitously reached the end of things. Three uh, segments this week. It's more and more how things have been going. I'm less worried about uh, holding it to exactly uh, you know thirty minutes per because if we get off on a good tangent, I'm willing to let it roll. And I didn't have you know with with the derailment of learning at the last minute that I was going to be flying solo. I didn't really have a proper call-in topic, and, you know, you've already called in and all, so we need... We need to- I like to think of it as one long call-in topic with only one important guest. Uh-huh. <sighs> I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I just work here. Right, I need to find my uh, outgoing music here. Because, oh, this one will do nicely. Bink and a bink. So, you have been listening... To a brand new, retuned, uh, many issues of audio quality dealt with on the new rig episode of Casually Hardcore with unexpected co-hosts, two hours of your life, you are simply not going to get back. Moo-hoo, hoo-hoo-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Special week coming up. Keep your eyes on the Twitter feed for Alpha Geek Radio and my personal Twitter feed, GnomeWise. 
I will be at. I'm going to be attending BlizzCon proper because I managed to screw up even my late access to tickets. I had an opportunity to get uh, through the Blizzard employee purchase tickets to BlizzCon, which I had missed earlier, and didn't get the memo that it needed to be done by 11.59 p.m. on Friday and came around Saturday morning saying, okay, I'm ready to go. I was like, uh, they are no longer available as of 11.59 p.m. yesterday. It's like, thank you. That information would have been useful before yesterday. So I will back to my original plan of attending the AIE Guildhall event, which takes place in Anaheim at the same time over at the Anaheim Hilton, right next to where BlizzCon will be taking place. There will be random and yet-to-be-scheduled particular times events on the live stream with the Frog Pants Studios peeps. I'll be meeting up with at least... Uh, Scott Johnson from The Instance and The Morning Stream and Film Sack and, 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 and. There's nothing that man does not do. Is um, Terpster going to be in the States for this? Terpster is going to be present and will be on the stream at some point or other. Oh, golly. Brace yourselves. Yes, I will be sitting next to Terpster on a microphone at some point uh, during that weekend. (laughs) An epic reunion! It's of a, sorts. It's a happy thing, yes. Um, <laughs> speaking of epic, uh, Total Biscuit will also be present. He was going to. Oh, be, cool! He's going to be casting the uh, StarCraft tournament. Uh, oh no, big pardon, the Hearthstone tournament. He's going to be casting uh, during BlizzCon. So I've uh, contacted him to see if there'll be any time to get together and at least say hi. Don't know if I'm going to get him on the stream or not, but who knows? It has happened before. It may happen again. The short answer is. Keep an eye on the Twitter feeds and the front page of AlphaGeekRadio.com for events and festivities Friday and Saturday of this week. And while I wasn't looking, the bed music ran out, and we're into the uh, ending music anyway, so let's just call it. I have been Gnomewise. I have been Barry. And we are out of here. <laughs>